Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Uh, Allison, you know the old saying, a uh, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, I right? do, I do. Is that Mary Poppins? Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, Mary Poppins uh, said that uh, famously. And the whole idea is because the medicine is so horrible, just tastes so yucky, that you've got to have a massive amount of sugar to get a child to take it. The child will choose death over the yucky taste. So you've got to have an appropriate amount of sweetness to cancel it out. Right. Well, you know you can go to the drugstore now and choose your fra- flavoring. Well, yeah, yeah but... but like the grape flavoring. Well, it's still pretty foul. But that's but... still, that's like basically, they're still doing the same thing. They're giving you the spoonful of sugar or awful grape flavoring, whatever. To mask uh, the odiousness of the medicine. Yeah, and it tends not to really mask it. It's like, like have you ever had your teeth polished and they use that, the, the stuff that's, it's not mint flavored, but it's like cherry flavored. So it ends up not being... It's not really cherry. It's just kind of a slightly, it's even more yucky for trying to be something it's not, you know? Yes, yes. But, but this leads to a question. Um, how much sugar, if it's one spoonful of sugar to counteract the medicine, how much sugar would you need if the cure for your sickness was, say, a snake bite or a, um, a sting from uh, some sort of venomous spider? Quite a lot of sugar, right? So it would seem. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about today. That's our roundabout intro to uh, 
to the use of venoms as uh, and the virtues of venom. Actually, yeah. I think that venom really gets a bad rap, namely because when we think of venom, we think of horrible pain. Yeah, we think of you know getting bit by like an inland taipan, a snake whose venom is supposedly one of the most toxic in the world, yeah. and dying this you know terrible, agonizing death in a matter of minutes. Yeah, or any, uh, just do a Google image search, and you'll see all number of horrible, black, gaping wounds and people with, you know, limbs swollen up like uh, like giant balloons. Yeah, so Venom, as you guys know, it comes with a built-in delivery system. It's not just um, a defensive mechanism. It tends to be used as an offensive mechanism. You know, you think of a snake, and it has the venom. Well, it needs the means to deliver it, so the fangs or how whatever means it chooses. Mm-hmm. And so aside from these agonizing deaths that induces venom is actually pretty cool. And there's a lot of interesting therapeutic research that's going on out there in science labs right now. And, and why are they doing this? Why is venom so promising? Well, because it's full of stuff like proteins that can manage pain and treat illnesses. So uh, Robert and I thought we'd do a little survey of some of the research that's going on with the world's venomous creatures. And of course, I'm kicking it off with snakes. I think I, I will definitely say that I've had a turnaround with my feeling for snakes. They're just amazingly, amazingly cool organisms. We did a whole series of articles um, for an Animal Planet show called Wild Recon, in which we examined the therapeutic benefits of venom, uh, snake venom in particular, and it's pretty amazing. So let's do a quick review of some of the key components found in different snake venoms. Some of the stuff that just may kill you or cause you great pain. You have stuff like cytotoxins, and what a cytotoxin is going to do? They're going to cause cell death, basically. There's actually beginning the digestion process for the snake. Like rattlesnakes, for example, have cytotoxins. And then you have stuff like hematoxins, and this is this gets the blood involved, and you can cause blood clots and basically decimate the blood vessels. Mm-hmm. Um, so a gaboon viper may have uh, have these uh, <laughs> that's not, that's, hematoxins. That's a car, isn't it? <laughs> Or a motorcycle? I'm picturing like a fancy Japanese motorcycle. Well, it's also a, uh, a snake. Yes, yes it is. And then you use stuff like neurotoxins, and this is going to affect the prey's nervous system and um, do stuff like block nerve impulses and make the prey become paralyzed, or um, it could just make the nervous system collapse. So a cobra and a sea snake might have these elements. So how is science interested in using uh, venom? Any guesses? Uh, well, the cell death. Um, aspect uh, would definitely lend itself well to fighting cancer or destroying any kind of uh, cells that uh, need to get got. And that is true. And also cobra venom contains a pretty powerful anticoagulants. And um, these anticoagulants are used as a blood thinner in humans. And there's a company that actually manufactures a drug called Exanta. And they've tested extensively in clinical trials uh, with like thousands and thousands of volunteers. And the the European Union has approved this particular uh, drug derived from cobra venom for pre- preventing clots after surgery. So that's pretty cool. It's a long way from the cobra, you know, and its habitat. Um, I have a, a cool use for cobra venom as well. What's that? Share. There, if, if you go to Thailand, you uh, you may occasionally see in a bar, you'll see uh, like a fancy bottle of this uh, amber liquid that has a whole cobra in it. And uh, this is a rice whiskey. That has been uh, th- that has been infused with with a dead cobra, all right. And they uh, they drink it over there. Apparently, is like it's a very manly thing. If you did you if, drink it when you no, were in Thailand? No, no, I didn't. I, I think it's technically illegal. Okay. Um, and I and I wasn't. There's so much to be uh, floored by over there without seeking out potentially deadly intoxicants. But uh, it's it's also apparently seen as a as an aphrodisiac. 
And uh, there's actually a really good review of it online at uh, spiritsreview.com, uh, where he describes it, quote, as a, as a, quote, an interesting, if potentially neurotoxic whiskey, unquote. And he uh, describes the taste as, quote, fishy, hot taste, almost like drinking peanut oil and alcohol with notes of ginseng. Uh, <laughs> and uh, apparently it creates this, um, this kind of, like, tingling effect all over and this uh, numbing um so potentially very dangerous with uh, very little application. But if you ever go to Thailand... Uh, and you try it, be sure to let us know yeah, how well, that goes. Don't, do not try it because we're talking about it uh, for legal purposes. But if you have tried it, please, please uh, email us. Yeah, so Cobra Venom is pretty popular in scientific circles because it's also being... Uh, Investigated to see how it affects uh, MS or multiple sclerosis. Uh, and you, you guys know that's a chronic disease of your central nervous system. So in patients with MS, the immune system is attacking the nerve cells and it's stripping off these um, protective insulating sheaths on the nerve cells. So cobra toxin, however, um, is suppressing the immune system in animals with the disease. In fact, early research has been so promising that they have uh, clinical trials going on now to study the effects of cobra toxin in human patients with MS, which is pretty neat. Yeah. They've also used uh, snake venoms to figure out ways to anesthetize patients during surgery. Really, the sky's the limit when it comes to snake venom. I mean, it just contains so many different elements that could be used for potential therapeutic purposes. But it takes a long way to go from a raw toxin to an FDA-approved drug. So we'll see. I mean, this is definitely an area to watch. It's also interesting in that, as as is the case with, with a lot of these venoms, we're talking about um, older traditional forms of medicine. Uh, we're using these thousands of years ago. Uh, take uh, uh, ancient Indian uh, Ayurvedic medicine. Um, They'd, uh, and I found this really interesting, they'd uh, collect the venom. Like nowadays, you've probably seen the footage where uh, they take the, 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 the snake and they stick its fangs over a glass and kind of like squeeze themselves a little beaker full of venom. Um, but apparently they'd take the snake, uh, force it to uh, sink its fangs into a piece of fruit. Yeah. And the fruit would absorb the venom. And then you would ingest the fruit uh, if you needed to be treated for like liver dysfunctions or eye disease or, or you know, various, uh, various uh, illnesses. So what do you what do you have on wasps and bees? Oh well, um, wasps and bees. Wasps I find particularly fascinating. Do uh, you wrote an article about yeah, this wrote, for Discovery News, right? Um, well, yeah, I actually wrote how wasps work as well. That was one of my earlier articles here at the site. So you're a well of wasp knowledge. I really grew to respect them. Like a lot of people were like, "Oh, wasp," and they're like, "Oh, but they love bees." Like, "Oh, you know, God, let me buy some chapstick with a bee on it, and let me dress my child like a bee for Halloween." But wasps, it's just kill on sight. But wasps are really amazing. I mean, they're—I mean, could go on a whole tangent, but like, you know, you think you have too many poisonous spiders around your house? Are you afraid of uh, like brown recluses and whatever? I am. I am. Yeah, get dirt daubers because dirt daubers—you um, know, the little the ones that build their little nests out of mud—I think they're called different things in different regions. But those guys eat spiders like crazy. They'll like bring them back for their young. Why do they bring the, bring spiders back for their young is key to why there's a lot of possibility for their um, for their venom. Right. Wasp venom, yeah. Yeah. Now wasp, whether you're talking about wasp or bees, and bees are just um, the bees evolve from from wasp. All right. Uh, only the females have stingers, and that's because the stinger is an ovipositor. This okay. is an egg laying organ that only the, and only the females have it. The purpose of the ovipositor is to lay eggs inside of another organism. So it's uh, it's it you know it's sharp. It sticks into another uh, creature's body, and it uh, the venom. The purpose of the venom would be to incapacitate the prey 
but also to um, to make changes in it to where it can be used as a living nursery for the growing young, which will eventually um, uh, consume it from the inside out. So interesting. Yeah, so uh, to facilitate this, the venom inflicts uh, such symptoms as developmental arrest, growth alteration, immune response suppression, paralysis, and behavior modification. So it's a there's a there's a it's a complicated um, you know toxin. There's a there's a lot of uh, different things that can go on in these uh, in these venoms, and that means there's a lot of potential to apply these to uh, and and turn them into uh, into medicines that we can use. Um, there's been a fair amount of recent buzz over the mapping of the parasitic uh, wasp genome. For um, it's a species uh, called uh, Nasonia. Okay. And uh, researchers think that this holds a lot of potential in creating new medicines. Uh, in some cases, it might be, we might be able to find particular venoms that we can actually use. But then sometimes uh, researchers can use these as leads, where we observe the um, the changes that a particular venom uh, causes, and then we can try and create something that replicates those effects. That, that's really fascinating. And as far as bees goes, there's a whole, since again, everyone loves bees, but wasps are dirty creatures. There are people that, that are just crazy about bee curatives. It's, it, it, they call it, um, apotherapy. And it, this is an alternative medicine area, but there are people that just are like, oh, you're sick? Here, have some bee wax. Have some honey. Have some, uh, have some bee, here, just let some bees sting you and it's going to be fine. Um, they're, they're really sold on the idea, uh, but, uh, uh, Western medicine is still kind of feeling it out. Are there studies investigating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there are studies. It's a, it, it's just uh, the scientists are not as sold on it as the, uh, as, as the uh, alternative medicine crowd. Um, and then there's uh, arachnids and spiders, um, the ones that the uh, the wasps don't catch and fill with their young. Take scorpions, for instance. Most of the, you know, most people probably think of these as just the things that you don't want in your shoes, right? Like in, in Mexico alone, I think each year a hundred thousand people suffer from scorpion stings, um, and uh, you know, and it can be pretty bad news. You can cause delirium, intense pain, etc. But uh, Harvard researchers um, experimented with giving uh, mice uh, calitoxin from uh, scorpion venom, and they observed eighty-four percent less jawbone loss in the rats. Okay, now this is this is how this this works. The calitoxin blocks a protein that plays a major role in inflammation, and when it's blocked, it also decreases the activity of a protein um, that plays a role in stimulating bone-eating um, osteoclasts. So they think it could uh, it could have a lot of potential to uh, you know to help help fight things like uh, um, you know osteoporosis, etc. Right, so all these elderly women who are, you know, hopping up on calcium vitamins might instead yeah. be looking to a scorpion. Scorpion or two. You can wear them like, like brooches, <laughs> you know. Um, and this is, this is a really amazing, uh, radioactive scorpion venom, which, uh, I, sounds like a setup for a comic book hero, but, uh, and I think maybe is, like the scorpion, you know comic books, right? No. Sure. No, you don't know comic books. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think the scorpion is, uh, Anyway, but th- th- this has nothing to do with that. The venom of the yellow Israeli scorpion shows pre- uh, preferential attachment to glioma tumor cells in the brain or spine, all right? So scientists have figured out that they can attach a radio- radioactive iodine-131 okay. to an artificial version of this venom. Okay. So the artificial version of this venom then attaches to the tumor cell, and since it's got a little backpack of uh, radiation, the radiation kills the cell. So it's kind of uses like a kind of like a Trojan horse kind of deal. Very cool. Yeah. So let's go to the water then. Let's do it. Let's hit the water. What do you got? 
Jellyfish, jellyfish and fish. In the water, you're going to find venomous jellyfish and, you know, plain old fish. In fact, one pretty interesting fact I came across when we were doing this venom research was that there are more venomous fish than snakes, according to this 2006 study published in the Journal of Heredity. Well, that makes sense because the, the oceans are really the most just, I mean, just the roughest uh, area to try and cut out an evolutionary niche. Didn't you do a, well, so one of the species uh, that they mentioned is the lionfish. Didn't you do a blog post about yeah, the lionfish? lionfish is a really uh, horrible invasive species in the uh, um, in the Atlantic waters. Um, it just, uh, most, most of the, uh, the native species aren't used to handling the venom that these guys carry in their spine. They're beautiful fish. And that's one of the the reasons that there are uh, there are like three different reasons that they're a, a big problem, and one of them is that people get them for their saltwater aquariums, and then they end up losing them or dumping them, et cetera. And now so they're out of down control. The toilet. Yeah, yeah, that's no good. So the animal in the water that really captured my interest was this box jellyfish. Have you ever heard of a box jellyfish? No, is it cube shaped? Because <laughs> I'm picturing a cube. Jellyfish. No, it's roughly like the size of a peanut, and it has one of the most toxic venoms in the world. And um, one of the species is called the Malo Kingi. And how did it get its name? Well, from a U.S. tourist who was killed by one oh. in 2002. A gentleman by the name of Robert King, who is presumably minding his own business and swimming off the coast of Australia when whammo, he was uh, stung by one of these boxed jellyfish, the Malo Kingi, and uh, he died. And it wasn't just any death, but the, when, when you get a sting from one of these Organisms that can lead to symptoms like, you know, shooting pains in your muscles and chest. You get some muscle cramps in your arms. You get severe pain in the back and in your kidneys. A burning sensation of the skin and face. Oh. Headaches. Oh, and this is my favorite one, um, as far as one of these can be a favorite. A psychological phenomena like the feeling of impending death. Wow. That is a lot of work for just one venom by a peanut-sized jellyfish. So it's gotten so bad, and uh, people are so afraid of getting stung by these particular jellyfish that Aussie lifeguards sometimes wear pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. The Australian lifeguards sometimes wear pantyhose on their arms and legs to prevent the jellies from stinging. I guess because... Um, I just hate that. I mean, they should feel comfortable wearing the pantyhose anyway. They just shouldn't have to feel like they need to make an excuse about crazy jellyfish. But no, really, it really actually prevents being stung? This is some of the lore that's out there, and yeah. people do actually do it. Do they wear the stocking over their head, too? Right, so they can do a do bank a heist right after. Like you know, I'm going to go swimming, put on my pantyhose, and then I'm going to pull my stocking over my head and go do a bank heist. I don't know. So they've been studying this box jellyfish to figure out a product that could protect bathers from being stung, other than wearing pantyhose, of course. Researchers are also looking to, to find out like how venoms have evolved in box jellies, and they're developing anti-venoms for the stings, because these are a serious problem in Australian waters. It just it seems like everything in Australia is poisonous. Yeah, they except do for have maybe it. the kangaroos and the koalas, but they probably they're probably packing a stinger somewhere. We just haven't noticed it yet. <sighs> right, that snake I mentioned at the beginning, the most toxic snake in the world, also a yeah. native of Australia. I don't know how you guys do it, you Aussies. Tell me about frogs. Oh well, frogs. Um, well, traditional Chinese medicine uh, has uh, incorporated uh, fro- frogs for thousands of years. And modern Western medicine is uh, just kind of catching up with all this. Uh, so here are just a few frogs uh, that we think have some potential. There's the giant leaf frog. Leaf? This giant leaf frog. Not leap frog. Not leap frog. That's, okay, gotcha. That's, that's a different thing entirely. But uh, uh, it has uh, peptides in its uh, venom that can reduce blood pressure by 50% in small doses under lab conditions. So don't 
don't go buying them on eBay and then sticking them to your body. Uh, the same frog also produces a, a peptide that stops blood from clotting, and uh, they think this might be useful to fight deep vein thrombosis. Uh, this is the condition that uh, you're supposed to uh, be wary of if you're taking any long flights in, like, economy. Oh, yeah, that's why you're yeah. supposed to walk around. Yeah, and this is also why if you've taken any long flights recently and you notice the stewardess is handing out frogs at the end of the flight, <laughs> that's what this is about. Um, all right, then there's the African running frog, and uh, this one actually doesn't have any medical uh, significance, Significance, but uh, since it uses uh, a venom uh, to kill insects uh, for prey, uh, they think it might be useful in, um, uh, in like, coating crops to keep uh, pests away. And also the uh, the wasps that I inter- in- mentioned earlier, the um, the uh, parasitic wasps, mm-hmm. uh, they think that one also might have a lot of potential uh, as a pesticide. So venom being used as pesticide. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and back to frogs, though. There's the Australian tree frog, which has uh, shown some uh, um, s- some success in uh, fighting conditions uh, that are resistant to antibiotics. And this is because um, the uh, the venom. Um, embeds in the membrane of the bacteria and bursts the cell. And uh, they can't really become immune to that. And then there's the uh, the North American pond frog. And uh, they found that the molecules uh, in this uh, particular venom uh, stimulate or inhibit the growth of cancer tumors. So uh, there's some research going into that and seeing what uh, applications that might have in fighting cancer. So it, it seems like frogs, uh, in, in, in addition to coating your you know poison darts to uh, shoot out of your uh, blowguns, you know, they have a lot of medical... Uh, possibilities as well. Yeah, it definitely seems that there's a lot of venom research that um, could be used for therapeutic purposes for people with heart problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, that keeps on coming up in people with blood pressure. And uh, and I don't think they've really looked into this, but I think energy drinks could be a big uh, big area of development, you know? Isn't there one called venom? I think there's one. Yeah, there's one called venom, but I, I didn't look <laughs> it up, so I don't know if it actually has, like, scorpion venom. or. But you could have the you could have a whole line. Like, each one has a different cartoon animal on it. Like, one has a wasp, and then there's, like, a scorpion that's, like, it's, like, using its claws to, like, lift weights, you know? Yeah. Market it towards, each one could be a specific animal marketed towards it a, a, a particular, um, like, extreme sport or high-energy macho caffeine kind of a thing. All right, so let's go from frogs to uh, our last animal. And uh, our last animal is a mammal, the platypus. Ah. We've covered reptiles, spiders, jellyfish, snakes, frogs, but what about mammals? This, I don't re- I don't tend to think of venomous mammals, do you? No, and uh, like pl- a venomous ape? Yeah, I I I love the idea of a venomous ape, but it, I completely made it up. And that's the thing. The platypus really sounds like a made-up animal. I mean, it really t- does. In fact, they, they thought it was made up. I, there was yeah. a platypus that, that was sent to uh, the Brits um, a while, a while back, you know, eons ago. Mm-hmm. And the Brits didn't believe that it was. And so they, they you know, they cut thought, up, they they thought, thought it was a... sewed it together? like Yeah, of- they thought it was a fake animal because apparently uh, Chinese folks had been known to do this. They um, made up an animal called an eastern mermaid. Which oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like the monkey and the uh, the fish parts. Right, so they thought that this platypus was a, a similar thing. Yeah, it, uh, it's kind of Coney Island freak show kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, so platypus, as you guys probably remember, it's, it's the duck-billed furry creature. It's this weird combo of a bird and a reptile and a mammal, but it actually is a mammal. They're like these oddballs of the animal kingdom. But the most interesting thing is, well, one of the most interesting things in platypus lore is that the males have these venomous spurs on the back of each of their hind legs. The females have the spurs too, but they fall off before adulthood. The only thing that researchers can think of for the for the spurs is that uh, they're, they're used um, when males are duking it out for a mate. 
So nobody's died from a, a, a platypus poisoning per se. In fact, we have an article of that same name. Could a platypus poison oh, me? Yeah. By uh, by Kristen Conger, I believe. You should yeah. check it out. So there are no known human fatalities, but surely some dogs have died. And in case you're thinking that platypus venom is is you know nothing in the venom kingdom. In humans, the pain caused by platypus venom isn't relieved by morphine. So that's pretty pretty wow. excruciating. So Aussie researchers, again, comes down to Australia, they're looking into how platypus venom could be used for pain management. There's also a lot of pain management themes going through this yeah. venom applications. They're also really interested in the platypus just generally because it's the oldest surviving branch of all mammals living today. And they, in addition, they've, uh, they've undertaken a draft genome analysis of the duck-billed platypus. So far, we've seen platypus venom show positive results in reducing like great amounts of pain, and that's about it. So it seems like platypus uh, venom research is uh, is wide open. If any of you guys are looking for an area of research to get to get going in, and it sounds like the place to go is Australia for any of these venom research places. Just make sure you don't get a run in your pantyhose, <laughs> or that could be the last mistake you make. So if you've been bitten by a venomous animal or used one of the medicines we mentioned or uh, drank the cobra drink in Thailand. Yes, do do email us if you've actually consumed that beverage because I'm very interested to hear tales of it. Yeah, send us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com or you can check out some of our related content like do jellyfish have the deadliest venom in the world or uh, Kristen Conger's fine article that we just mentioned on the platypus or visit the blogs. That's yeah. all we got. Thanks for listening. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.